May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. If I was to ask you what four words you would use to describe God, I wonder what four words you would choose. Well, let's not wonder about it, so we just give it a go. So, uh, either sitting on your own or talking to your neighbour, what four words would you use to describe God? Give you a minute or two to either think about that or talk to your neighbours about that. Well, I mean, you guys are allowed 12 because there's three of you, so... <laughs> All right, so what kind of words did you come up with? Loving. Loving. Compassionate. Compassionate. Very good word. Caring. Hmm? Sorry. All seeing. Creator. Father. Any other words? Mighty. Mighty. Just. Humble. So, humble. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a good word. How many, any others of your, in your group? Everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, the technical term for that is omnipotent. <laughs> I did that little exercise because... Um, I want to apply that to the story we've just heard, and I want to do that because at the heart of the Christian faith is this concept called the Incarnation, where the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became human, became one of us, and lived among us. Uh, And we say that this person, Jesus the Christ, was fully human and fully divine. So we kind of get the technical stuff vaguely right, although we get a bit blurry about that on occasions. But what we get stuck on, I think, is the purpose of the Incarnation. And one of the reasons for that is our creeds, which are astoundingly unhelpful when it comes to this. If you look at the Apostles' Creed, it talks about the virgin birth, and then it has a comma, and then it talks about Jesus' death. And everything that happens between the birth and the death is reduced to a comma. And the Nicene Creed is exactly the same, except in that case it's a full stop. Which effectively means that all that Jesus did and said is reduced to that full stop or comma. And the important bits of the Incarnation become the birth and the death. Which is kind of interesting given only two Gospels talk about the birth. And Mark isn't one of them. And the vast majority of the Gospels are in fact about what Jesus said and did who he was. So for the gospel writers, they thought the importance of the, of the incarnation was who Jesus was. But for many of us, we just think it's all about the birth and the death. And if, if you listen to a lot of Christians talk, they don't know much about what the gospels say about Jesus. They know all about the virgin birth and they're very hot about that. And they're very hot about why Jesus had to die, although I don't agree with what they say. But the details of who Jesus was gets lost. Because, well, they're irrelevant, aren't they? They're not in the creeds. But the Gospel writers thought, actually, 
They were important. That's why they included all that detail. If it was only about the birth and the death, the Gospels would have been much, much, much shorter. I mean, I think Mark's Gospel would have been about three chapters. Because you don't have any birth stuff, you just get straight into it. So what then was all this incarnation about for them? Well, I think the, for them, the four Gospel writers, the incarnation was about Jesus who lived and in his nature showed us the nature and character of God. They were saying, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. He is the revelation of God. He is God come among us to show us what God is like. So our understanding of God from their point of view should be shaped in what the Gospel writers say. But if you listen to a lot of what people say about God... It's clearly not shaped by what the Gospel writers have said at all. They use a whole lot of images and a whole lot of terminology that simply doesn't fit Jesus. Why? Because they've ignored the Gospels. So, when Gospel writers like Mark write their stories, one of the questions we should be asking ourselves when we read those stories is, so what does this story teach us about the nature and character of God? And because these stories are teaching us about the nature and character of God, they are also teaching us, and Jesus is very clear about this and what he says and does, they are also teaching us about the nature of the reign of God, the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. I've been amazed. Uh, one of the guys that I read, Rob Bells, I've mentioned him occasionally, uh, he was the darling of the evangelicals until he wrote a book called Love Wins, which basically said all our thinking about hell is unbiblical. And we have layered this kind of, well, N.T. Wright calls it paganism across Christianity. And it actually isn't very biblical. And then he presented what he said was a biblical idea of what Jesus was about, which was love wins. And the evangelicals went crazy and called him a heretic. And lots of them said, if God isn't going to punish all these people, what's the point? So their primary image of God was judge and punisher. Where did they get that from Jesus' life? So, what is the character of God revealed in this story? And what is the character and nature of the reign of God? So one of the commentators I read uh, suggested that this story we heard this morning offers us four words, which is where I got four words from. And um, so I'm going to reread that gospel story, and I want you to think about what words stick out for you that might describe the character and the nature of God and the character and nature of the reign of God. So here's the story again, but this time from the message. A leper came... To Jesus, begging on his knees, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Deeply moved, Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to, be clean. Then and there the leprosy was gone, his skin smooth and healthy. Jesus dismissed him with strict orders, say nothing to anyone. Take the offering for cleansing that Moses prescribed and present yourself to the priest. This will validate your healing to the people. But as soon as the man was out of earshot, he told everyone he met what had happened, spreading the news all over town. 
So Jesus kept out of the way places, no longer able to move freely in and out of the city. But people found him and came from all over. So what words struck you from that story? Compassion. Compassion. Alright, sorry? Healer. Healer? Excitement. Excitement. And do things in secret rather than have them emblazoned all over the place. Yeah. Do you, can you think why that? Why was there's actually thousands of books written about this, but can you think why Jesus did that? There are many books written about this. I'll offer. I'll offer. I'll offer a thought about that in a moment. Any other words that come out? Humble. Humble. Yeah. Well, the guy I read he the four words he had was the first one was compassion. And Jesus meets this man with compassion. Actually, the, the Greek word is a little ambivalent. The other, the other way it can be translated is anger. So we tend to go with compassion, but there's a hint of anger. So there's some of the commentators kind of wonder why Mark used that word. Um, but this is a man who's on the edge. Like he has been ostracized by his community. He can have nothing to do with his family, nothing to do with the community, the town that he used to be part of. He lives on the edge. And Jesus, and to actually get to Jesus, he breaks a whole lot of rules. He's not supposed to be in the middle of the road. He's not supposed to be interacting with people. He's supposed to be off to the side saying unclean and out of the way. So he's breaking all the rules. And Jesus would have been very, like, a natural reaction. And the right reaction would have been to react with anger and to dismiss him and to get him off the road. But Jesus responds with compassion. And that's a really important word, isn't it? So it came up in our descriptions of God and it comes up again in the story. So one of the ways we can describe God as compassionate and one of the marks of the reign of God is compassion. And part of that, uh, which none of you talked about, was touch. Jesus touched the man. So he could have just, as he does in other healing stories, he could have just given the command. Um, He could have given a gesture. Um, but he touched the man. Now this is a man who has been ostracized. So his human contact is very limited, if any. And some of you will know the lack of human contact and what that's like. And for Jesus then to touch him is almost as important as the healing itself. He heals him by meeting that very basic need. So I wonder what that teaches us about the nature of God and how we encounter God. But also I wonder where we encounter that level of compassion and where we show that level of compassion as people involved in the, in the reign of God. The third word that this guy came up with, David Lossus' name, is willing. Jesus was willing. So it goes with the compassion. Jesus could have reacted with anger, could have dismissed the man, could have got rid of the man as a nuisance. And how often do we do that? But Jesus saw this man and was willing to heal him. Didn't see a nuisance, didn't see a beggar, didn't see a leper, but saw a man, a child of God, and responded to his need as a child of God. 
That's a very important concept because too often we just see, well, we've had a discussion at Centre Point about beggars and what we're going to do with them. So we're kind of developing a policy around beggars, which we need to do, but we immediately categorise people as beggars, and the minute you do that, you don't see the people involved. And what we have to do is have a policy about beggars, but also see the people involved and not lose track that each person, no matter how annoying, uh, is a child of God and respond inappropriately. So, God sees each of us as a child of God and the reign of God, a characteristic of that, is when all people are not seen as beggars or homeless or sleeping rough or whatever other category we want to apply to people but are seen as children of God as our brothers and sisters. And the last word is lonely. The beginning of the story, the leper is the one who lives on the edges in the wilderness, who can't go into the towns. And at the end of the story, the leper is able to go into the towns. If he goes and sees the priests and performs the right things, then he'll be officially rehabilitated. And because of what the leper does, this goes back to secrecy, one of the reasons is because he did not keep what happened secret Jesus is now the one who has to live in the wilderness where the story begins. He is the one that can't go into the towns. People have to come out and see him. And the flip side of that is even while Jesus becomes more and more popular, he also becomes more and more lonely. Because people are no longer seeing him. They're seeing a healer. They're seeing a Messiah. They have a whole lot of expectations they bring. But they no longer see Jesus, the person. And he gets lost. So one of the costs for God in all of this is that we keep forgetting who God is. And we apply a whole lot of other labels to God. Which is why the Gospels are so important. They keep reminding us that the nature and character of God is found in the person of Jesus. Not in all the labels, not in all the titles, not in all the other things we like to make up, but in the story of the person of Jesus. And the reign of God then is about those things that Jesus lives out. So... Those four words. We're about to enter Lent, which, oh well, it's time of prayer and fasting, giving up chocolate and ice cream and maybe alcohol, who knows. And uh, one year I threatened to give up coffee, but Bonnie said, not on your, not on your life, I'm not putting up with that. <laughs> yeah, okay after the first week, but the first week I think would be a bit rough for everyone. So, but it's also a time for us to just stop and to think about who is God for us. To think about the titles and the words we apply to God. Where we look for the reign of God in our life and in our world. And to take stock of that. So I invite you to do that when you read the gospel stories. To think about what does this story teach us about the character of God. What does this story teach us about the character and the nature of the reign of God. And where's the invitation there for me? 
So we're not going to say a creed today because the creed would be the Apostles' Creed which reduces the Gospels down to a, a comma or a full stop. So uh, instead, I want you to turn around, talk to your neighbour, or you can sit quietly on your own if you want, and just talk about what this story adds to your understanding of, the, of God and what this story challenges about your understanding of God. So we'll have a couple of minutes of doing that and then we'll do the prayers.